0: Statistics would tell us that the majority of orthodontists and dentists will be or have been embezzled from. And those numbers are low because many cases are not reported or not investigated. Would you believe me if I told you a case of a dentist who was once murdered over $17,000 embezzled to cover up the crime? Well, today's guest, Mr. David Harris from Prosperidem, has some amazing stories and tips to help protect you from embezzlement. So as I always tell you, Get comfortable, sit back, and enjoy what's about to happen because today is one podcast you really need to listen to. This, this, this is The Orthopreneur Show with Glenn Krieger talking about the things you never learned in school like marketing, management, and leadership. Hey there, everybody. It is Glenn Krieger here with another episode of The Orthopreneur's Podcast. Now, today, I have a very special guest for you, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, arguably one of the smartest people I know in the world of orthodontics, uh, Mr. David Harris, who is the head of Prosperident.
1: Hi, Glenn. It's uh, great to be here with you.
0: Yeah, and he was nice enough to give me some time after he gave a meeting to a local bunch of specialists, and so uh, we have the opportunity to sit here and go over a few things, Related to orthodontics and the business thereof, if you will. Love to talk about it. So for those of you out there who unfortunately may have missed uh, David's lecture last year at the Orthopreneurs Summit in um, discussing a lot of the ways in which people, employees, will, how, we, how will we best say, uh, take certain things that don't belong to them in the practice, right? The
1: five-finger discount, as it's called, Yes. <laughs>
0: So his, his presentation was uh, one of the most highly rated ones at the meeting last year, and that's why I'm having him back again in 2019 on a slightly different topic, and we're going to cover all that ground today, but again, first I want to say thank you for taking the time today, David.
1: My pleasure, and glad we could do this uh, face-to-face. You know, it, uh, I know technology will let us get together in other ways, but there's nothing like seeing your smiling face, Glenn.
0: <laughs> Likewise, right back at you. So. Let's just jump into this uh, first just by, give everybody a little bit of background. I know you're from uh, Nova Scotia. Um, he he does most of his work here in the United States, which means he's traveling a lot, which means he's got to be passionate about what he's doing. And uh, I'd love for you to just give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got into this uh, up until present day and then we'll jump from there.
1: Certainly. Um, I'd like to tell people that I had some master plan and that, you know, I... I, um, the getting here was was the result of some kind of plan it was not I got involved in the investigation of dental embezzlement totally by accident I had quit my job I was sitting at home and a guy I'd been in high school with called me and he said I think my he, he was now a dentist and he said I think my front desk person's stealing and there's no one else I can think of to call now, why would he call you at that point? Um, because he knew I had an investigative background, and he also knew that I had uh, been in some some trouble with the law in my teens, and uh, I, I might have more insight into how criminals <laughs> think than, uh, say, his CPA or something like that. Great. So he called me, and he asked for a favor. So I, I obliged him. I went over to his practice that night. Um, this was in 1989, to, to give uh, the audience a little sense of chronology. So it was before practice is computerized. He was using the old pegboard system and um, I, I found the embezzlement fairly quickly. Um, I, I, I kind of went at it a little differently than he thought I was going to. He, he shoved ledgers and stuff at me. And I said, no, no, we're going to go at this a different way. And what I started doing was going through the suspect's desk. And what I found was her cheat book. So when people steal, one of the challenges is keeping track of what they've stolen, you know, what's, what's real in the accounts and what's fictitious. So I found the cheat book. And in those days, it was like a scribbler. Uh, now, I think most uh, most thieves probably keep track of this on a spreadsheet on their computer. But in those days, she had a, a handwritten scribbler. You know, once we opened that, the whole thing just unfolded. So, I came back the next morning to help uh, the the doctor fire this lady, and he promised to buy me dinner. That I will point out, I'm still waiting for thirty years later. But, you know, who who says you keep track of things like that? And. I just went on my way and didn't give it another thought. And 2 weeks later, one of those really weird things happened. When I was going into my own dentist's office for an appointment. And I was about to enter and I looked through the the glass door at the outside of his office and I saw sitting at his front desk the same woman who we'd fired 2 weeks earlier at the other practice. Wow. I didn't say, wow. I said something a lot less polite <laughs> as I sprinted to a payphone because in 1989, you know, cell phones were um, not ubiquitous and wouldn't have fit in your pocket anyway. And I called the practice and I got put through to the doctor on a pretext and I told him about the time bomb that was ticking away happily at his front desk.
0: And so if I can go back for just a second. Yeah. You confronted her with your friend at the first practice. Right. And it was a you're fired, not a, hey, we're calling the police. Yeah, it was
1: it was you're fired. And as I say, I just I just walked away, but then she got a job at my dentist. Got it. And I I was about to walk through the door and I caught myself and I turned around hoping that she wasn't looking outside and went to the payphone and called and got the doctor and once he heard why I wasn't in his dental chair that when I was supposed to be, he hired me. And wow. by the time I finished with his file, a couple of his friends had called. And that's how I got started. Wow. And as I say, no business plan, no financing arranged. I mean I didn't have a bank account for the, the business or anything. And you know, it, it started off that way. What Really revolutionized the business was the ability to work remotely. Because in those days there was only one way to solve this problem: you had to go to the practice and you know sit there for three or four days and work through stuff. Um, you know, and once once the internet became a, a, a viable way to move information around, we were able to free ourselves from geography and to expand our scope a whole lot. And and that's really the the enabling factor that turned it from a one-person operation into the 26 people we have now. Wow.
0: So in terms of what it is you do as a company, individually perhaps as well, what services do you provide nowadays to people and, and to whom? I'm not going to say to people and to whom.
1: First of all, we only work with dentists. Okay. Uh, we, we do not uh, help medical doctors or the corner store or any other constituency. It is, it is dentist only. Uh, we do cover all specialties in dentistry, and um, some of our team members are, are specialized. So, in, in orthodontics, which is the, the field that's, uh, that's really relevant here, we have, um, we have specialized investigators who all have an ortho background. Because there are enough differences between how a general dental office functions, from our perspective, and how the software works versus an, an ortho practice, that we really felt a need for specialists. So. We've got, uh, we've got fantastic people in, the, um, in that group, and that's what they do. So in terms of the services that we offer, uh, it's, it's a pretty narrow menu. We do investigations, and we do them for people who have found embezzlement and need to map it. And we also do them for people who suspect embezzlement and want to know if uh, their front desk person or their office manager has, has their hand in the cookie jar.
0: And what about people who are neither one of those two who have an ortho practice, it's doing well, they don't suspect anything's going on, I assume they fall into the category as well.
1: We, we certainly can do investigation for them. And we also have another product, which is called Office Protection System. And with that product, we're not looking at transactions so much, but we are uh, looking at their systems. And the idea is to find the weaknesses that they have and help them address them. Uh, so it's uh it's 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 done with a with an expert the the team member who does this has some interesting qualifications she was uh, she's she's the spouse of a dentist and he was embezzled by their longtime office manager and, and this gal who had an accounting background kind of got got dragged into the cleanup and she said to me once that's done i'd really like to come and work for you so she's lived through the whole cycle of embezzlement and she has a um, a high level of enthusiasm she has uh, made it her mission that she doesn't want other people to go through what she and her husband did. Nice. Um, this is not uh, an orthodontic practice in a box. So it's not like you, know, you, get this, you, you get this big box by FedEx and you open it up and there's a binder inside and all you have to do is, is, is uh, do what the binder says. It involves understanding your systems and honoring them to the greatest extent possible because everything you do is done for a reason. The reason might just be legacy. In other words, that's how the guy I bought the practice was, was doing it. Or it might be, you know, something that you've put in place to solve a specific problem. But the idea is not to say you have to throw all that away and start from scratch. It's let's, let's find the weaknesses and let's do really what I think of as fine-tuning. Got it.
0: So starting discussing the actual topic today, if I'm a young orthodontist or perhaps somebody who's been doing it for 25 or 30 years... A should I be worried about this in my practice and uh, B where would I start look where where are some places if I said hey David you know I'm okay I'm making a lot of money I'm bringing home a great income you know my family's not suffering my team by the way I'm sure you've heard this before my team loves me they would do anything for me and I love them I would do anything for them and Um, David and I go back a little bit so uh, you you know some of the stereotypes that are out there but all these things, I got a great practice I'm making a great living, we've grown beautifully my patients love me, nobody's complaining about anybody in the office we have marital bliss if you will are there any big red flags I could go look for to say hey wait a minute maybe there is something going on here that I'm not aware of
1: Definitely. And the first question you asked was kind of about the, 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 the prevalence. In other words, what are the chances? Yeah. Um, I'll mention a couple of things there. There are no orthodontic specific studies that have been done, at least that have been, have been made public. So the information that we're working from in general is, is information from dentistry as a whole. And the studies all come back to about the same point. They suggest that the chance you will be victimized in your lifetime is about 60%. By an employee. By an employee or a subcontractor or conceivably a fellow doctor in a group practice. Got it. Okay, if you, if you lump those three together, the chances are about 60%. Now, that number's low. And the reason it's low is there's some embezzlement that happens and nobody ever finds. Somebody takes $30 from petty cash, they're fired, and nobody ever or, says or, or Or they take $30,000 and nobody notices because that can happen too. Got it. So some of it is undetected and some of it is detected but not reported to anybody. So you have to look at how much higher those might push the, 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 the 60% number, and unfortunately we just can't put a figure on it. Um, what I'll say about orthodontics is that for some reason it constitutes a slightly higher percentage of our caseload than the ratio of orthodontists to all dentists would suggest. So you guys make up about six percent of all dentists, okay. um, but you constitute about eight or eight and a half percent of our cases. Um, and I, I have no ability to understand that. In other words, I don't know if it's that you're better at detecting it, or that it happens more to you in the first place. Um, but it's 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 certainly a live issue, and um, you know we have uh, we have our ortho department, which is absolutely one of our busiest.
0: So is there, going back to the second question, yep. you know, again, everything's wonderful, practice is great. Is there anything that might cue me in a little bit? Certainly. Something I could look for, you know, that to tell me, hey, wait a minute, there might be more going on here
1: than I might imagine. Absolutely. First of all, the typical orthodontic embezzler takes somewhere between probably 1% and 3% of practice collections. That much? That much, but also that little. You know, it's it's not enough to... Put an orthodontist into trouble. So, if your practice is fundamentally sound and it's prospering, you're probably not really going to miss one or three percent. It might, it might yeah. be the difference between, um, you know, getting ahead of your debts and saving for retirement, and just kind of uh, keeping everything up to date and not not going any further than that. But it's not going to it's not going to push you into bankruptcy.
0: One uh, percent of a of a million dollar practice is ten thousand dollars a year.
1: That's right. But I, I would hypothesize that in most ortho practices, you know, you could you could take ten thousand or thirty thousand a year without anybody really realizing that it happened because you know it, it puts you behind with all your suppliers and it you know it, it it forced you to go into overdraft and things like that. It's just it's it's not you know it's it's a it's a cut as opposed to a traumatic amputation somewhere. Right. Uh, so you know the the. The absence of funds um, really suggests a much a much bigger problem, which happens as well. But the typical embezzler is kind of good at finding your pain point. In terms of how you tell that it's happening, that's where I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of misdirection. So there are a lot of people who write about this and speak about it without understanding it very well. And what they will tell you to do is, um, spend more time in your numbers, you know, re- review your reports and uh, spot audit patient charts and things like that. And I will never say that that's a bad idea.
0: And, and before you go any further, I want to right. say something here because I, don't, I apologize for interrupting you midstream, but I remember a conversation that you and I had when we talked about last year's Entrepreneur Summit. Now this particular podcast is not being reserved on the web for a specific group of individuals. And I know you do not sleep at night knowing that the things you do to find embezzlers ever fall into the hands of those who embezzle, right? And so to those of you out there who've heard the beginning of this podcast and heard me say to limit the people to whom you show this podcast who are not other orthodontists or other dentists, I'm purposely telling David now, as he's well aware, to be careful with some of the things he says because it bothers him more than anything when people out there use what he
1: says to actually try to embezzle, correct? That's right, and thank you, Glenn. Um, we have a policy where we simply do not comment publicly on methodologies that thieves use. Great. Um, and you know, certainly if, if you come to a, a live presentation and the group who came to the Orthopreneurs Summit last year um, got some information that, that I would just never ever put on on a podcast or an article or anything.
0: And to everybody's, to everybody's uh, information here, and to David's credit, I want to be crystal clear that at last year's summit, he said to me, if there's one person in that room who is not an orthodontist, or the spouse of an orthodontist who works within the practice, he will not get on stage. I said, I'll, I promise you it won't happen. He says, don't worry, it won't, because if there is somebody there, I won't. He's that serious about protecting clinicians. So again, I just wanted to give you kudos there Thank because you. doing what we do, it's nice to know there's somebody who has our back.
1: You know, you you guys are my my livelihood, and and uh, I I absolutely love the fact that I have the privilege of working with you because I have met more wonderful people in, in in dentistry than than I could ever imagine, and I just could not ever contemplate doing anything that would hurt you. So we we do not talk publicly about methodology. What I will talk about is. How to realize that you have a problem, and as I say most uh, most people who write about this with I will say an incomplete understanding of the problem will push you towards kind of becoming an untrained, uncompensated auditor in your own practice and
0: which wasn't how you caught the first person
1: yeah or 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 just about any other um, but, you know, we, we have a, a skill and a, and, and a tool set that, that orthodontists typically wouldn't have in that area. And we, we also, I would say, understand how criminals think better than I would expect a clinician to. Um, where, where you can have a much better chance of spotting the problem is to watch behavior of employees. Because if, if somebody is stealing... There are certain things, there are certain ways they're going to act. And I don't mind talking about them because uh, they can't can't suppress this behavior. It's really difficult to conceal. And there's a range of things. I'll give you some examples. A lot of these are reluctant to take vacation. And the reason is because they need to control the flow of information in the practice. You know, there will be phone calls that will come into the practice that will ask questions that anybody else would find odd. And as long as the embezzler is the person who handles that phone call, they can prevent it from from escalating to the doctor. Um, A lot of time thieves will want alone time in the practice. So they will arrive early or they'll stay late after everybody's gone home or they'll come in, you know, sometimes Saturday night at 10 o'clock. Um,
0: Which is interesting because, you know, these are the people that you tell all your friends, oh, I have the best team members. They come early. They stay late. I have to push them to take vacation.
1: Superficially, Glenn, working for you and working against you look very similar. Well said. And people tend to, to, to fixate on that. The, and this, the other thing is that it's not accidental that you think they're the best employee you ever had. If they can convince you that, you know, I would be so, so screwed if she ever left... Once they get you thinking that way, that means you stop scrutinizing them. You, you stop um, approaching the trust issue with them with an open mind, and the amount they steal each month can go way up. So this is also the person who will offer to run your personal errands on her lunch hour. You know, and if you're stuck at the practice and one of your kids needs to go somewhere, well, you know, don't worry about it, doctor. I'll drive them. Uh, they, will, they will worm their way into your life. And yes, you will think that they are the best employee you ever had and that's exactly where they want to put you. They want to make it so that you could never consider getting rid of them. That's right. And the way we humans approach trust is kind of interesting. You know, when you first meet somebody, the question you ask yourself is, can I trust them? And you do that when you know, when a patient and their and their parent walks into your practice, you do it when you're interviewing a staff member for, to to consider hiring them. You do it when you buy a used car, and once you make that decision, what you want to do is you want to put it away and never ever revisit it. And in the world in which I live, trust is a much more fluid concept. People may be trustworthy at one point in their life, and then circumstances may make them not trustworthy at some other point. Okay. And and it shouldn't be a case where you know because you decided to trust somebody 30 years ago that you've worked with them ever since and never reopened Pandora's box. That's fair enough. So it's, it's kind of interesting the way we, we approach that problem. But behavior is the key. And thieves will act in some pretty predictable ways. Um, I'll also talk for a minute if I could about why people steal because understanding that will also help you recognize the behaviors. And I I, I break thieves into two categories, needy and greedy. And needy thieves steal because they have to. They're they're upside down financially for some reason. I mean, husband lost his job or um, maybe they're going through a divorce or they have an addiction or something. Greedy thieves steal for ego. So they think they're worth more than society thinks they're worth. And stealing is kind of how they get what they believe they should have. And they look at you as their intellectual peer, whether justified or not. And it seems really, really unfair to them that you make, in their mind, millions of dollars, whether that's true or not. And, you know, they're stuck on their salary of of whatever they make in your practice. And it seems unfair. I mean, they forget about the amount of student debt that you came out with and the you know what you shelled out to buy a practice, and the financial risks you've taken, and you know eating ketchup soup as a resident, and all those <laughs> things. I mean, ramen, none of, <laughs> lots of ramen, lots of ramen. No, no, none of that enters into their their calculation, and they just look at you and them as kind of equal. Maybe even in some ways, they think they're superior to you because they're probably better at at you know doing the 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 tasks of running the practice than you might be. He or she would never survive and, without me. Yes, and. So they wait for you to realize this inequity and rectify it. And when it becomes clear to them that that's never going to happen,
0: they steal. By the way, on that topic, who's who's tougher
1: to catch, needy or greedy? Um, greedy. Because typically with needy, you, you know they have financial problems. You know, this is the person who's coming to you for pay advances because, you know, they've kind of run a little out and they need money or there may be creditors calling the practice or... You know, if they fall behind with uh, with their income taxes or something, there may be a garnish order that arrives that that forces you to divert some of their mm-hmm. wages. So a lot of times that that circumstance is known. Got it. The greedy people they're visible as well, but it's it's a little more subtle. I mean, you kind of have to look for it as opposed to you know getting a letter from the IRS saying thirty percent of this right. person's pay goes to us. Okay. Um,
0: so. But with regard to this, if you don't mind, I just wanted to sort of take this down a different path for a moment. Um, Right now, I promise you, there are a significant number of people listening to this who say, that's not me. Mm It doesn't affect my practice. And that's human nature, right? Because I have no reason to suspect anybody in my office. We're making a great living, and life is good. Um, But what would you say... Well, I guess there's a two-part question, as it seems to be the case today. Part one is, at what stage of one's career... Would you say that someone like you plays a role? Because part of what you do is not only find the embezzler, if it exists, but that assist them, I suspect, in creating systems that prevent future yes. uh, embezzlement, or the word I would like to use is taking advantage of them in some way, shape, or form financially. That's what it is. Um, and, and so what about those people out there who are saying, you know what, I, I practice in podunk whatever, uh, we all know each other. We live in a farm community. Everybody knows each other. Everybody knows each other's business. This isn't going to happen to me, right? That's the extreme one. And the second is, look, I'm in residency. I'm 450000 in debt. I'm going out with student debt. I'm going to be buying a practice. I'm going to be in debt for the practice. I've got no money. Um, I-, I can't afford to do this. What would you say to those two individuals who I, I know are listening right now?
1: Um, to the first one, I'd say this. Um there have been a lot of studies where they ask people, are you an average driver, above average driver, or below average driver? And normally, somewhere around 80% of drivers say they're above average. Now, every one of your listeners went to a stats class. 80% of the population cannot be above average. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. And people will come up with a lot of reasons why they perceive that they should be immune from embezzlement. So my staff have been with me for a long time, or I pay my people really well, or as you say, I live in a small town and really embezzlement is, a, is an urban affliction, um, or a lot of other reasons. And you know, for every one of those reasons, we can point to um, spectacular cases of embezzlement that just absolutely defy uh, the hypothesis that these people have. Um, and, you know, the small town one, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that right on the head. Um, there's a town in the, in the place where I live, uh, population's about 40,000, you know, give or take a couple of cows. <laughs> and um, there are a total of 23 dentists in town. Uh, well, a few years back, two of them each got embezzled in the same year. Uh, for amounts in excess of $100,000. Uh general dentist got hit for about $180,000, and an ortho, the, or, the orthodontist in town uh, got, got hit for about 250 dollars Wow. Did they know
0: they were being embezzled?
1: Um, well, long after... Yeah, $180,000 later in one case and 250 dollars later in the other case. So, you so know, they, people,
0: they knew something was happening.
1: Well, I, 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 I think the moment of discovery happened after a lot of money had already uh, fled out the back door. Um, so... You know, th- this was, this was a, a small town where, as you say, you know, everybody knows everybody and uh, um, knows everybody's business. And those two embezzlements, which were totally unrelated, it wasn't like, you know, the, the same person did one and then the other or anything like that. There was, there was no relationship at all between the two embezzlements. Okay. And they got hit. So, you know, the small town, the long-term staff, the well-paid staff, none of that stuff holds up. And the point, Glenn, is that embezzlers don't think about you it's a really selfish crime. They think about them, and they're trying to scratch an itch that they have, and you're just kind of collateral damage. Uh, so none of these, um, you know, none of these immunity hypotheses have any validity at all. That's why I asked. Yeah. yeah I kind of knew that. Now, to the, to the question about the resident, uh, what I will say is this. Young dentists tend to be a little bit more vulnerable. They, it, it, it seems to happen at the, at the uh, ends of the continuum. So it's younger dentists and, and, and late career dentists that probably get hit the hardest. Um, the young dentists, I think, because they're inexperienced and they don't know necessarily what they, uh, what they need to know. And the late career dentists, because in a lot of cases, they're kind of coasting into retirement and they're just not paying the attention to their practice. And they're probably not in a place financially where they need to. Um, what I would say to those young dentists is that the return on investment from getting some advice on this early is a lot higher than getting it late. So I, I hear what they're saying.
0: So I know there's going to be people out there who say, look, I'm just trying to make my two dollars to pay my student then, and by the way, this is David Harris. He owns Prosperity, and He's got a vested interest in scaring me into this sort of stuff. And I know you well enough to know that's not who you are. And um, and after you answer this next question, I'm going to tell you a personal anecdote from my life um, that opened my eyes and, and why I'm about to start working with David Harris and Prosperident. Um, because, and, and may I say for the record, you don't give me this podcast, you're involved in an Orthopreneur Summit, doesn't give me some free you know, uh, stuff that everybody else is paying for. I, I'm going to be paying for this the same way all of you do uh, because I value what David and Prosperident bring to the table. But, but my question for you here is, what is the investment, and I want to use that word specifically, investment, that I should expect the folks out there to pay if they want to get started?
1: Uh, if they want an investigation, our investigation started about $7,000. And um, you know, in, a, in a simple kind of one orthodontist practice using some kind of mainstream software, that would be the price. If we were looking at a four-doctor practice that used some offbeat software that, that 20 orthodontists somewhere use, um, the price would be a little bit higher, but certainly not four times as much. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's 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 a little bit dependent on the on the situation, but um, it's not a lot of money for what we do. And what we do is we um, typically look at like a one-year period we we go over it very thoroughly and again I'll stress this is being done by an orthodontic expert not somebody who investigates general dentists most of the time and is now trying to pretend like they they understand something about your software and business model um,
0: but what what about the, the other side of it I haven't bought anything I'm hiring my first assistant right now okay. I know that one, the topic you're going to be talking about this year at Orthopreneurs Summit is how to avoid the worst hiring mistake Yes. So I'm starting at the beginning of my career. I've got i I'm new. I'm, I'm putting my money into building a brand new office. I've got my location. I've got my student debt. I'm about to hire my first person who's going to do everything for me. Is there anything you can do to help me set systems up in place to prevent that as I start growing? And follow up question to that is, as I grow, do I? Or do you suggest I bring you back in and we revisit every X amount of time?
1: Um, I'll answer the second question first. No, we, we do not advocate any kind of work on a timetable we to to put it in in dental terms glenn we we aren't fans of treating asymptomatic patients so we're not you know i would never say to you gee you should just prophylactically bring somebody in to investigate every three years or every five years because i think that's a waste of your money what i'd rather do is i'd rather help you get better I'd, I'd, i'd rather help you get good systems in place that will not prevent embezzlement but help you realize that it's happening. And I'd also like to help you become a better observer of the behavior of your staff. And with those two things going for you, then if you see something that alarms you, um, call us and we'll be there. But no, I I am don't think that people should be sort of paying on an annuity basis for, for protection. When, when we do systems work, the office protection system stuff that I mentioned. It, it 's intended to help you make permanent changes, so if all went well you 'd never need us again and what should
0: what should I expect to pay for that i don 't i don 't suspect embezzlement because yep. i don 't have any money yeah right but i 'm going to start what should I expect as a young practitioner or an older one to
1: office protection system starts at six thousand dollars, and you know we we will usually give some reasonable finance terms and we You know, we understand people coming out of residency and the amount of debt they have and so on. So to the extent we can, we try to work with with people like that. Um, You know, they ask us sometimes, well, you know, could I defer this for a year until I've been working a little bit and stuff? And uh, of of course they can. Um, Certainly if you're starting a practice from scratch, the benefit of having your systems work well from the first day is huge.
0: Just like a patient says, "Can I put this orthodontics off for one year?" Absolutely, absolutely, you can. It might be more yeah. difficult to treat a year yeah. from now.
1: Your, your teeth will still be there in a year. I'm very sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're 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 absolutely fine with with people deferring to to kind of fit their timing. And if somebody who really doesn't have the money has the need, we'll work with them um, a little bit to 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 get it so that. Uh, finances aren't their barrier to to being set up properly
0: fair enough you're talking about the cost of one dental chair and one you know if you're building a new office yeah you know the cost of putting together less than the cost of one op
1: yeah you know to protect your practice the rest or, of your career or, or, or put conversely you know one decent sized ortho case exactly yeah, well uh, said that's you know that that's it so when we do systems work um, as I say theoretically it should last forever in in the real world you have turnover um, a lot of systems kind of atrophy over time sometimes, so it 's not uncommon for us to be called back after five years to do a tune up yeah but it 's not it 's not part of the program design i mean we are We are not intending to uh, make a ma- make a lifetime living off off one orthodontist. What we want to do is treat them right and then ultimately work with their friends at a
0: fair cost too i mean six thousand uh, dollars Canadian is like two hundred and fifty dollars American right. <laughs> I'm only kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry. To all my Canadian friends out there, I, had, I just had to. <laughs> Sorry, we, we just had to go there for um, just a second.
1: Just because Glenn brought this up, I'll clarify those prices are in U.S. dollars. Yeah, I figured,
0: <laughs> but we had to go there. And I promised a quick anecdote um, that I think I shared with you when I first spoke to you way back when. I have a very, very close friend who's a restorative dentist, and he was a restorative dentist with me back when I was practicing. And he, was, he and I were speaking at great length before he bought a practice, and uh, he'd been associating in the practice, and he knew the practice well, and his CPA had come into the practice to do their audit, so to speak, and oddly enough, in this case, they found something. And what did they find? In a a very, very um, casual way, without... I'm not the one who's going to tell you how to solve your problem, so I will tell you the story. I will not tell you the solution, because there is none in this particular case, because he did not bring in an auditor. He did not bring in an investigator. They just happenstance found somebody who was doing something very silly. Um, But it ended up that the person running the front desk was running care credit on every new patient who walked into the office, because they had Social Security numbers. And they would take the checks from the care credit and deposited into a separate bank account. Um, patients would call and say, hey, I got this notice about this care credit thing. What is it? And she'd say, don't worry about it. I'll fix it. We'll fix it. I'll take care of it for you, right? There, to your statement of not letting anybody answer the phone. And, not, yeah. and so she would take somebody else's social security number and get care credit, and she'd run it up. And then by the time the auditors found this, um, she was taking them out in the name, obviously, care credit in the name of the practice. So here's the kicker. When the CPA found it, on the day my friend was going to buy the practice, and he had made note of the fact that he needed to see this woman the next day, and they were bringing in a forensic CPA, she suddenly didn't show up for work that day, right? I'm sure you've never heard that before, right? Not today, no. Yeah, not today. And um, lo and behold, she disappeared. Police don't want to have anything to do with it because, you know, at the time, and this is 15 years ago, it wasn't really... They had bigger things to deal with than chasing somebody who... You know, they'd have to prove it had taken money. And the worst part was because the money was taken out in the name of the practice, the doctor was liable for the money at care credit and he had like 100 really angry patients who now had found out that credit was taken out against them. It was just this, it killed everybody and and nobody won except for her and she disappeared into the mist and that was like the last they'd ever seen of her. And I'll bet you that's not the first time you've heard something like that.
1: No, um, actually, the, with the with the group I was talking with this morning, there was something similar that came up. Um, it, it, and what you're talking about, Glenn, is really the concept of indirect embezzlement. So now this is a case where somebody's stealing from uh, a third party, like care credit or an insurance company, in a way that makes the doctor liable. Yep. And it may be legal liability, and it may also be kind of lost goodwill, you know, uh, em- emotional liability. In in this case, I mean, the doctor had to explain to patients probably that yep. uh, you know information they gave him in the course of seeking dental treatment with him was was abused by somebody that he hired, and and that's a uh, that's a difficult admission to make to a patient. Exactly,
0: and we were having a discussion before we started getting on on the recording here and I want to sort of follow up on that one a little bit because I just gave you an interesting example of something you may never ever have thought about there right most people listening probably never thought that somebody would ever do that in their office but embezzlement or theft if I want to use just a broad term theft happens in many ways in a practice and uh, oftentimes ten dollars might be missing from the petty cash or somebody goes into someone else's purse and takes something Um, We know we've all had that thing in the office that disappeared, and everybody claims that they didn't touch it. How do you, as an investigator, define this concept of embezzlement or theft?
1: Well, uh, Confucius said that it was as much of a crime to steal one grain of rice as a thousand. Uh, So by that yardstick, taking anything, you know, taking pens from the practice or um, toilet paper from the staff restroom is embezzlement. They've already proven that they're prepared to be dishonest. And when anybody is dishonest, they're going against something that they've been taught from an early age. Because all of our parents said the same thing to us when we were three years old. You don't take other people's stuff. Right. So they're, when somebody takes $5, they've found an ability to rationalize that. To say that it's okay to do this because, because the doctor underpays me, because you know, he's rich and greedy, because whatever. Um, the question I have, Glenn, is why if somebody decided that f- stealing $5 was okay, there would be a line uphill from that somewhere where they would say, but stealing $20 or stealing $20,000 would be wrong, but $5 is okay. So when I, when, I, when I see people experiencing minor theft, what I tell them is, is something that, that one of the, the most respected fraud investigators in the, in the country says. He says, there's no such thing as a small embezzlement. There are only big ones that are caught early. And, Interesting. That's a great point. You know, if, if somebody will break the rules, it's probably going to escalate. So when we catch these people... Yes.
0: Um, is it safe to say that if I were to bring Prosperident into my office and there's embezzlement, we're going to catch it? Yes. Is there... I guess you wouldn't know. It's kind of like saying, if I take my vitamins, will they work? You have no way of proving it. So my next question is almost impossible, I suspect. Are there cases you came in and looked for where you didn't catch the person?
1: Yes, there was one case, and it was about eight years ago. And we we looked at a practice, and we didn't find embezzlement, and it came out later. And uh, after that, we did a fairly heavy-duty postmortem, and we changed our procedures in such a way that that one wouldn't have gotten gotten away from us now uh, since then as far as we know and you know there's always the, the the unknown or the unquantifiable here but as far as I know our track record has been perfect beautiful so we're, so, we're proud of that
0: well to again here's my two-part question again um, I suspect based upon the title of your topic at this year's summit um, that a large part of this can happen in the hiring process that we can spot the people who might potentially be a problem and I'd love for you to comment on that just a little bit. And number two, um, these people who are doing it at other offices, without divulging any secrets, is there a way for me to, to find, if they've never been reported, right? They were caught, they embezzled $1,000, and the doctor said, look, I don't need to deal with this, you're being fired, go now, you're done, finished, I'm not reporting this to police. Is there ever, I mean, is there a way that you can ever figure out if these people are, are going to be
1: in your practice? Um, I'll I'll do my usual practice of answering the second question first. (laughs) Um, What a lot of dentists do is a a poor job of background checking people. And I'm I'm not talking, when I say background check, I'm thinking of of checking broadly, not simply a criminal records check. Uh, So I'm talking about the whole process that you follow before you decide to hire somebody. And most doctors do a terrible job of screening people. And it's back to that concept that 80% of us think that we're above-average drivers. 100% of dentists think that they are better than average judges of character. And they tend to place a lot of weight on their impressions. And embezzlers tend to be people who show up well-dressed for an interview. They have a well-written resume that has no typos. Um, you know, they, they probably come across as, as being a cut above some of your other applicants. And, of course, they know your computer system well. So a lot, of, a lot of orthodontists see that. And also a lot of times people hire in a bit of a panic. You know, Somebody leaves them and gives them not a lot of notice, and uh, the labor market's pretty good in some parts of the country, and um, those things all, all, all prompt kind of panic hiring. So doctors kind of get themselves into a bad position to, to start with. And I, I always say everybody in dentistry understands the concept of a short notice list for patients. Uh, why don 't we apply the same concept to hiring, in other words, what you know in in, in my mind and I, I certainly do this with prosperity, we are always hiring, not in the sense that we 're always bringing people on, but we 're always looking for good people and when we find good people, if we don 't need them right now, we kind of stick them away so that when we do need them, you know we know we know where to go and We never stop that process, and I would generally suggest to you that uh, neither should an orthodontist. So, you know, you're out on Friday night, you're having uh, a meal at a restaurant somewhere, and your server's great. This person anticipates your needs and makes you feel good about your experience. Um, what's wrong with saying to them, you know, you're, you're terrific at your job, and if you never want to leave, I get it. But uh, if you wanted daytime hours and maybe a little less time on your feet, I'd love to talk to you about how you might fit in with us. Nice. And work at it that way as opposed to uh, like my mother-in-law who gets surprised every year by Christmas, you know, um, about, about, uh, about December 22nd or 23rd, you know, she wakes up that morning and she realizes Christmas is coming and she panics. Um, She's not alone. N- needing, n- needing new staff is, is not quite as predictable as Christmas, um, but it's equally inevitable. You know, it's going to happen that you need new staff. So why are you starting from zero when you need them? Because it is into that climate that an embezzler can make you make a mistake. And the mistake is typically in not speaking with former employers. Um,
0: Someone comes into you with no former employers. That's a giant red flag. That I, is took, gi- I took time off. I took time off to raise my kids.
1: Yeah, great. Um, just bring me in your tax returns for those years so that I can confirm that nice uh, if we, you have nothing, to hide, we, you've got nothing we, to hide we shouldn't be taking statements at face value like that i was traveling through europe great bring in your passport um, my rule is if somebody claims they're out of the workforce for more than 30 days i want it substantiated Got it. Um, and and the risk here and you just nailed it is the hidden job so i work for dr a for three years and either i'm not getting caught stealing or i'm maybe even not stealing at all And then I work for Dr. B for six months. And she catches me with my hand in the till and fires me. And now I'm applying at your practice. I will go through a lot of convolutions so that you might talk to Dr. A, but you end up not talking to Dr. B. So I could take that time that I was working for Dr. B and claim I was traveling through Europe. I could um, tamper with the dates of Dr. A's employment. And if you're not precise about it, you won't catch it. Or I might, um, you know, I might give you a phone number to call for Dr. B, but when you phone it, you're talking to my aunt who pretends to be Dr. B.
0: That's it. interesting. And by the way, uh, again, just jumping in with a quick question, because you have my wheels spinning a little bit. A lot of doctors delegate this, myself included, yeah. right? And we get to the final point. You meet your three applicants, hopefully if you're lucky, of all the people you've reviewed, and you sit and talk to each one of them. At what point should I not be delegating this? Is, is, can I delegate a lot of this whole process until the end, but I do the follow-up? I do the background checks myself?
1: Um, certainly, when it comes to speaking with former employers, if, if they were in the dental profession, I think you should do it. And it should be dentist to dentist and not manager to manager.
0: Do you challenge credentials on the phone? When, you, uh, know, you just said you're just speaking to someone's aunt. Do you suggest saying, by the way, I'm just asking as an aside, where did you go to school, what year did you graduate, um, or does it, that get a bit cantankerous at that point? Um,
1: it, it's not a bad idea, and and you would do it, of course, under the concept that if you met anybody in the dental world on an airplane, for example, you'd have stuff in common with them, right? And you'd want to know who you both knew, and you know where did you go to school, and all that. So, okay. you know, in the in the context of friendly conversation, that's fine. I don't think it should come across as interrogation. Right. The the better solution is to find phone numbers independently. So if somebody says that they worked for Dr. Krieger, um, you know your phone number is not hard to find online. I've, I've done it. Yes. Um, it's all over the place. So why don't I look online and call that number and, talk, and, and, and get your office and talk to you? as opposed to phoning some number that the applicant gives me? that could be anybody.: That's fair enough. Um, so the, the, the verification is OK, but I think, it, it, I think the better solution is simply just um, find the right phone number and call it.
0: OK? And at that point, what do you do when you run into that? And and We've all been warned, hey, don't say something negative about an employee because you're gonna get sued, right? Which is really, really rare in the dental field for someone to sue because you said, oh, by the way, she stole money from me. Though if you didn't press criminal charges, you must substantiate. But we've all been told, don't say those sorts of things. Say, she worked for me from this date to this date. This is what I paid her. Would she be eligible for rehire? No, right? Those are the common ways we say, I would never hire them again. How do you get the truth from these people in a way that you phrase a question?
1: Um, You know, if another dentist said, under no circumstance that I could ever possibly imagine, would I hire that person again? That's good enough right there. You don't need any more.
0: The why isn't as important, the what is. I would never rehire them. That's good enough for me.
1: Um, If you're giving a negative reference on somebody, the way I I encourage people to do it is to say, my attorney instructed me. I love that. Not to... Not to comment on this person's job performance. Oh, I love that. We're, which means you've said absolutely nothing and everything at the same time. Wow. Um, so that's that. that's how, from the other side, you do it. Um, but when when you phone somebody, you want to confirm dates of employment and and don't don't prompt the don't prompt the former employer. Just ask them the open-ended question: What was the start date? What was the end date? Compare that to the resume. Ask what the job title was, because a lot of people will inflate their job title when they apply to you, and that's back to knowing they're a prostitute and and, uh, wondering about the price, Uh, if somebody will say they were the office manager when their job title was treatment coordinator, um, and they've already proven dishonesty and the the question is how, how it will manifest next, and ask the rehire question because anything other than yes means no, and ask if the person left on their own accord or they were asked to leave, which... People may or may not answer, but we shouldn't let the possibility that somebody might not answer our question stop us from asking it. I, I love this. Do, how
0: often when you find somebody do you recommend pressing, not you recommend, but how often are, are criminal charges actually filed and does it do
1: anything by filing criminal charges? It depends. Um, a lot of justice systems everywhere are overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, most, most states have full prisons. They have long waits to get into court. They have district attorneys who are overwhelmed by their caseloads. So they have to prioritize. And their choices are we deal with violent crime that exists in pretty much every community or we deal with economic crime. Violent crime is simple in the sense that you know there's a dead body over there and there's somebody with uh, gunpowder residue on their hand over there. To even explain to the police what has happened in an embezzlement um, is challenging. And um, the police have no ability to investigate this crime. I mean, they need somebody else to do it for them and hand it to them and say, here you go. Um, But justice systems have have to prioritize. And honestly, economic crime, particularly against a group in society that most of society thinks is a little bit overpaid, Right. Um, is is probably not the justice system's priority. So al- almost w- almost every crime like this gets reported because if people are going to claim on in their insurance, because most most of your audience will have insurance coverage for this problem, to claim that insurance, they must report to police. And then the police decide what they're going to do with it next. And in a lot of cases, they move very slowly, and the ultimate outcome is not... What what the victim thinks it should be, and I'm I'm thinking specifically now of a, a case we worked on a couple of years back. The the thief it was uh, the victim was a general dentist. Uh, the thief took a million and sixty thousand dollars. Over what time period? Over about uh, five and a half years. Oh my word! And, and for that, Glenn, her sentence was one year in prison. Um, sorry, her sentence was two years in prison, which means she spent one year, and then was released on good behavior. And she's back out in the community, and um, the rumor is now that she's she's working in a dental practice, and we're just trying to find her. Wow! Um, wow! So that's amazing. That's you know the the punishment probably by my standard often doesn't fit the crime. Uh, what I will say, and, and we're having this conversation in Texas. Um, I, I I will credit Texas for being tougher on if somebody will than than take five dollars from you, wow. and Texas will send people to jail where California would give them a slap on the wrist. So, God bless Texas. Now there's a lot of open carry weapons
0: here, so they might not make it to, <laughs> they might never make it to prison in Texas. You know, well, um, but but that's a, a totally different subject. Um, so, I, I, before we finish up, I just wanted to hit a couple of more quick things. One sure. is, again. My whole goal in starting orthopreneurs was not for guys who'd been out there or gals who'd been out there for 20, 30 years or even a dozen or 15 years, though I'm, I'm hoping they're benefiting from this. It's for those folks who are my co-residents. You know, I'm 44, 45, 46 in residency with 28, 29, 30-year-olds who've come straight out of dental school into ortho residency, and they're coming out in the world. Many of them don't know how to find an attorney. Many of them don't know how to find an accountant, let alone find an embezzler. And, um, you know, our, our industry is, is rife with, um, you know, a new dentist comes out of school and they're opening their practice and they put out a one ad and they get, you know, 20 people apply who've had no experience or fresh out of school and then you know, down from Mount Sinai comes with the shining light above them that consultant-like assistant who has done it all and, and knows your your software program and they know how to collect and they know financial industry and they know how to be a TC and by the way, they got 15 years of clinical assisting experience and they are the one person who's going to solve your problems and help you grow quicker and, and um, you don't realize that they actually embezzled from the guy down the block who fired them and so, you know, my takeaway message from this one you know, is that you need to make those phone calls and you need to call the previous doctor and say, why were they let go? Because if it seems too, be, too good to be true, I sincerely hope it is, but it probably isn't. And you know, sometimes, and, and I want to ask your opinion on this, you have that person who comes in and goes, I'm everything you ever needed me to be. I've passed every look te- test. I've I passed dexterity tests. I'm everything you want me to be. And you're just chomping at the bit, like, where have you been my whole life? Um, and they say, but please, please, whatever you do, don't call my current employer because they don't know I'm leaving.
1: This is one place, Glenn, where you do have to look the gift horse in the bike And, you know, when somebody says that, it could be one of two things. Either this is a, a legitimate request and they're they're unhappy in their current job and they want to switch, but... You know they don't want to get fired from their current job until they they land somewhere else and that's fair enough it could also be somebody who was fired from that job three weeks ago and saying this is just a creative way to get you not to phone the boss that just fired them because if that if that conversation happens they know they're not going to get the job with you right so when somebody says that to you your response should be I understand that I'm going to let you know that we do not hire anybody without speaking with their most recent employer but I also don't want to put you in a precarious position with that employer so that conversation doesn't have to happen now. But if, if you're okay with this we're gonna continue with the screening process and at the end if you're the candidate we choose we'll let you know that we'll give you a written offer and the written offer will have one condition and the condition is that we speak with your current boss. And at that point if you're gonna take our job you're gonna to have to tell him or her and it should be okay for us to call them and that's that's what I would do the beauty of having that conversation with somebody is that it will weed out those who are playing games with you because what you've just told them is you're not gonna get hired here because I don't I don't hire you until I speak with who I think is your current employer who will turn out to be your former employer not happy with you on the other hand if this is a legitimate request then you've you've Respected the, the the sensitivity of that person's position. Beautiful. So I th- love that. That's what I would do. But unfortunately, that that line has worked on a lot of people. And I will tell you that we see a lot of people we call serial embezzlers who work at one practice and they steal and they get fired. Just like the way I got my start in this business. Two weeks yep. later, they're working across the street. So when uh, when we do the orthopreneurs uh, summit. Really what I'm talking about is how to avoid those people. Beautiful, beautiful.
0: And it's amazing that, you know, people get recycled. So let's just real quickly before we wrap it up, last question for you. Um, I got some red flags, right? And now that you got me thinking a little bit, you know, things are a little tighter than they should be. I'm a little worried about my practice. Not terribly, but just a little bit. I'm concerned. I'm not worried, right? Um, And I think I want to bring you in. Right. And tomorrow when I get to the practice, um, I'm going to play this podcast for everybody, of course, because I want them to hear everything that was just said. Not, (laughs) not, do not. Um, But I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell everybody, hey, everybody. And I'm going to pull my office manager aside privately, of course, and say to each and every one of them, hey, guys, I just want to let you know, we're going to have a forensic investigator coming in to look for embezzlement. And I really, really want you to make sure our books are in order. So I want to really make sure everything's clean, right? That's exactly what I should do, right, David? (laughs) Let's say say not. Um, I say that all sarcastically out there, people. Please do not do that. Follow what he's about to say.
1: If you have suspicions, it is so important that those suspicions not be telegraphed to your staff. And let's consider two scenarios here, Glenn. Let's, first of all, look at the scenario where you're wrong. There's you know maybe a little bit of suspicious behavior but really nothing is going on and and if that's the case if you communicated to your staff something along the lines of you know I went through a minute or two when I didn't trust you and I brought in the forensic people but don't worry you came out fine um, you know staff meetings would be awfully frosty for the next decade or so uh, and and you, you'd really damage the working relationship. Hey
0: honey before I married you I had a private investigator follow you for two weeks but don't worry it worked out
1: fine yeah that's the one um, <laughs> On the other hand, if somebody is stealing, we do not want to let them sense that the trap is about to be sprung. And the, the adage here, Glenn, is that desperate people will do really desperate things. And we right. have seen things up to and including murder of a dentist um, from somebody who was stealing from her doctor and thought she was about to get caught, so she killed him. Oh my gosh. Um, and just to make the story that much worse than I made it so far, the amount she had embezzled was $17,000. Oh my gosh. So, your audience should not want to use themselves as guinea pigs in a sociology experiment. Well said. And if they suspect embezzlement, it is really important that, first of all, that they urge, they resist that urge that most dentists have to say whatever they're thinking now. Um, and secondly, that whoever they hire to do the work is capable of doing it completely in secret. Um, Putting somebody in your practice for three days and trying to explain that they're there to fix the compressor when they have a briefcase instead of tools (laughs) um, is is probably just not sustainable. Um, What needs to be done needs to be done offsite, invisibly, and most importantly, leaving no trace in the practice management software. If you have a thief they're looking. They're, they're checking your audit trail every day to see if somebody came in after hours and made a bunch of inquiries. So wow. it, it needs to be not off-site. Um, when, when we do our work, we, we, if we're doing investigation, we clone somebody's practice management software. So if you're using, pick a software, Ortho2, Fine. what we will do is we we will make a copy of it in our lab. We don't even open Ortho2 in your practice. We copy it and when our investigators look, they're looking at the copy as opposed to the live software. So that does a couple of things for us. First of all, it ensures that we can carry out our work in secret because any, any trail we're leaving in the audit log is in our copy and not yours. And also, it methodologically, it's better because we're able to cut ourselves off from what happens in your practice tomorrow. So when we do our work, we're, we're looking backward, typically a year, although it could it could be some other period and what we want as investigators is if we look at your stuff on monday and then we go away for a day and we come back on wednesday we want everything to be exactly the same and we'd never have that in your live software but we will in in our copy of your software so that's how we do it and our our secrecy record is is perfect
0: does every or does every major or anybody i go to aao and see the software mm-hmm. can you work with pretty much any company or is there a company out there you
1: just can't work no. with um and and we have a couple of investigators who have the versatility to work with software they've never seen before okay so um we we actually are, uh, are are taking on a new one this week and this is a um you know this one will hit home with you slightly this is a general dentist who has a sleep apnea only practice wow and so they're not using dental practice management software they're using medical practice management software and the reason is that most of what they do is claimed under medical, medical insurance in- so it's it's a different animal than we're used to working with, and I'm, I'm very confident that first of all, my i.t people will be able to get it uh, married to the data and working in our lab, and secondly that and in, one of our more versatile investigators will will be able to make it sing and dance Wow yeah, so at, at
0: if I was going to bring you in and I want to bring you in for systems, yeah, not necessarily you know I'm again, a younger doctor, I don't have a track record, I want to bring you in. Do you come on site for that, or is that something that's also done remotely?
1: Um, there's, there's no good reason to come on site anymore. Okay. And all it does is it increases somebody's cost. And I will say that, you know, one of the, one of the things that appeals to my group of investigators, and I, I love the group of people we've got. I mean, they're absolutely amazing. And one of the things that appeals to them is that there's not much travel involved in the job. I travel a lot, but it's normally to speak. Um, most of our investigators have have very little travel and that's appealing to them because some of them have families um a couple of them have farm animals um they uh
0: hey farm animals are family
1: well yeah but you know <laughs> the, the the words um rearing sheep just to me bring up a whole... Another another, yeah.
0: another conversation for another time.
1: <laughs> they, uh, they, they should change. Or, you know, what's the other one I heard the other day? Animal husbandry. I was about to say animal I, husbandry. I do not want to be an animal's husband. I'm this sorry. Is,
0: this is Texas. A lot <coughs> yeah. of animal husbandry. And I mean that not in the way you think I mean it, okay? <laughs> now it's totally gone downhill. <laughs> yes. And I don't mean it the way you think I now mean it. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, my question is, <coughs> if someone says either I want to set up systems or I think I've been embezzled from or I know I've been embezzled from, um, just call you. Don't say a word to anybody. Call you. You will tell them. Here's how we will start the process, and from there, follow the directions and don't do a thing you're told not to do.
1: That's absolutely perfect. Okay. I, I will talk to any dentist, orthodontist, oral surgeon, whatever who has embezzlement concerns. You know, we'll talk through what's bugging them, and we'll give them some advice on what they should do next. And if if the answer is investigation, then we'll will hold their hand through the process. And, uh, you know, our investigations typically cycle over about eight or nine weeks. So it's not like it takes six months. And, uh, at the end of that, if, if they have a problem, we'll help them deal with it.
0: Beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having you at Orthopreneurs this year again. Uh, there aren't that many repeat cu- repeat lecturers. We have a couple, uh, but you certainly are the top of my list. And, uh, I think you're vital to a practice of success. That's why I said I want to work with you uh, shortly. Uh, The meeting is going to be about 40% airway uh, and sleep-disordered breathing, and about 60% leadership management, run a better, more profitable, safer practice, if you will. And so uh, I know you personally, and I know you're the kind of guy that when you're at that meeting, you're going to be at that meeting. You don't show up for a 2 o'clock presentation at 1.50 and leave at 3.10. Uh, you come in, you stay around a bit, you talk to people. I know you, you try to get out because you're in Canada. Uh, but I know you're there to answer questions and help people along the way and, and help guide them. And so I'm really looking forward to you being an asset uh, to those who might be at the meeting.
1: Your conference last year was unbelievable. Oh, and uh, the, the attention to the little details that you had and the, and the big concept that you had, I mean, it was... It was one of the best conferences I've ever seen. So, oh, thanks. Um, you know, I it. when when we talked about my coming back this year, I mean, there was not a minute's hesitation. And you're right, I'm I'm there for the the the, the, the conference experience. And uh, you know, you had terrific other speakers. I mean, you know, in in most conferences I go to, most of the speaking is clinical, and of course, I'm not a clinical guy, so. Uh, there's a little bit of limit to how interested I am in that. But even some of the clinical speakers you had, I was had, had my rapt attention simply because they were, they were great as speakers. So, there's some great um, people there. To the, we're blessed. To the audience, if, if uh, you are kind of undecided about going to Orthopreneurs or not, you will not be sorry.
0: Well, I appreciate it. And I, I'm going to tell everybody out there, go to OP, uh, October. Uh, Pennsylvania summit 2019.com OPSummit2019.com if you want to sign up and more importantly if there's anybody listening to this who would
1: like to speak to you further about their practice how do they get a hold of you they can do it in a couple of ways um, email is always good and uh, most people once they hear my email can remember it forever it's david at dentalembezzlement.com and the only trick is spelling embezzlement right but you know if you're not sure Google can help And... Orthopreneurs is not easy to spell. Well, (laughs) I don't know about that. And uh, if they want to call us, our toll-free number is um,
0: 888-398-2327. Operators are standing by. If you call that number again is
1: 888-398-2327. I never dial
0: it, so... Order Uh, in the next five minutes and we'll double your order. Um, (laughs) And free shipping. And free shipping uh, in the US and Canada? Yes. Beautiful. So, uh, as you can tell, uh, he's just an amazing guy, and I, I really value this time we've had together. Uh, I hope that for at least somebody out there, this conversation changes your life in a positive way. Uh, David, I really can't thank you from the bottom of my heart on a Sunday afternoon, hanging around after a meeting here in Texas to spend some time with me.
1: I was uh, so so glad we got to do this face-to-face. I, you know, I'm much prefer it to Skype or any other way we could talk so I'm glad I was it. here
0: appreciate it and and just to let everybody else out there uh, when we get out of school and we go through school and we run our practices I just want to make it clear to you that the the mission of why I started this whole concept is alive and well and what it is is that there are people out there aside from yourself who care about your practice uh, you're not alone uh, there's many people out there as resources. And if there's anybody out there you want to learn from, please let me know, and I'll see if I can get them on the podcast and, and uh, bring them in for a conversation like this. And so, again, David, thank you from the bottom of my heart for the time you spent today. Thank and, you. And I really, uh, he has a wealth of information, and I hope you get to spend some time with him at the Orthopreneur Summit. So to everybody else out there, uh, wishing you a wonderful day. And if you have anything you ever need, please feel free to reach out to me and take care.